Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, we got all kinds of interesting headlines across the world today. There's apparently a pack of stray dogs who have been uh, collected up somewhere in Russia near an abandoned factory, and they're all blue. Their fur's all blue. I don't know. I feel like Paul Perot probably has a comment to make. Uh, blue dog crew. Uh, yeah, blue uh, dog crew clu- works. That, blues that. clues. Blue, there, there you go. I wasn't even mm-hmm. going there. What are the blues clues related mm. to the pack of blue dogs? So did they just get yeah. into a vat of some blue dye or that's my, have that's, they been that's genetically Jim's... altered? They're yeah, more exactly. dogs. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know. I don't know. There's all kinds of blue hair jokes that we could now tell, which we won't because then we'd be in all kinds of trouble. Mm-hmm. We would? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. So um, all kinds of media and social media headlines today, media, uh, headlines around the world um, related to what I will describe as liberty concerns. Let's be praying for people who find themselves in bondage of all kinds today. Um, I just I'm just I have a heightened awareness of uh, of what is happening, um, not only in Myanmar, where people are pleading for freedom and the world is, you know, in in large measure, not doing much. And we talked with Luke Moon yesterday. There's one thing, it's one thing to, um, you know, get on social media and, you know, angrily tweet and retweet uh, about things that are happening or, or on Facebook and, you know, post and repost how um, heartbroken we are about the circumstances uh, under which people are living around the world, let's say people who are victims of human trafficking or the Uyghur people rounded up now by the millions in not only internment camps, but now we know um, horrible, horrible things happening, particularly to the women uh, as uh, communist China seeks to bring a genetic end to those people. It's one thing to um, be angry on social media. It's another thing to actually do something. And so this sort of rises to the level of, um, governments in terms of engagement. And so we want to be continuing to encourage those in elected leadership in this country who can bring the resources of the United States of America to bear on issues around the world. We want to continue to tell our members of Congress, certainly to tell um, uh, to tell the president, hey, uh, we don't want to just know about these things. We want to be people on uh, on the front line of pressuring these governments to behave differently. And we can use economic power, we can use our global influence to do that. And you know, if if America is good in addition to being great, then she should want to use her the power of her global influence to bring goodness to bear um around the world. And so 
I just I just lift that up because it's I lift up these prayer concerns frequently and I encourage us to pray the news as we read the headlines around the globe. Um, But let me remind you that in addition to prayer, you can be an activist. You can activate your voice um, and you can influence the influencers uh, to do something. And so uh, that would be my encouragement today on that front. All right. John Brandon is back today. You know him as a Forbes columnist. He's also now the digital media director for uh, the University of Northwestern St. Paul and here right here at Northwestern Media. John's uh, up next. We're going to we're going to talk about um, what President Trump might be up to next, which may very well be starting a new social media company. Hmm, That'd be interesting. We'll be right back. Brandon is back. Uh, We're going to talk about a couple of columns he has posted at Forbes. Uh, he is also the digital media director at Northwestern Media. John, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me again. All right. So um, Donald Trump has been acquitted after his second impeachment trial. Um, you know, maybe he's scratching around looking for something to do. What's one idea? <laughs> Yeah, there's some reports. This is actually a few weeks ago about how Donald Trump might start a social media platform. And now, of course, like you said, since he's been acquitted, now maybe he has a little more time on his hands. I'm not sure. Um, Hey, one thing I should mention to you is that I'm a little bit apolitical, and this is sort of an interesting topic for me. I actually am more interested in, like, uh, I don't know, serving and meeting the needs of the people and the church and all that kind of stuff. I follow politics, but it's not like my number one thing of all things. Um, but I do know enough to be a little bit dangerous on this topic. And I would say that, uh, you know, I was just talking to the producer here earlier, segmenting the population into a social media app maybe isn't the smartest idea. Um, I think it just kind of creates more division. But I would also say that I'm a major free speech advocate And I've been a little bit worried as a former journalist, current journalist. Over the last six months, we've just seen a lot of uh, changes on social media where um, posts are being blocked a lot more. And it's not just Donald Trump. It's other posts as well. And some of them seem a little innocuous to me. They're not really that bad or that fringe. But for some reason, the, the overlords of social media have decided to kind of start tweaking and blocking and actually removing people from these platforms. So I get what's driving it. So when you talk about segmenting the population um, into particular social media apps, maybe the first experience people will have had with that was everybody who tried to move to Parler um, as a social media app when um, when Twitter deplatformed um, the account of Donald Trump and people wanted to be able to continue to communicate in a different space. Um, Parler was then the entire app was shut down. I understand they're now back online. Um, but we talk about segmenting the population on social media apps. We're talking about where particular voices collect themselves and, and therefore you end up with a silo um, of just self-reinforcing opinion because the only people who are allowed on that platform are the people who share um, one set of, uh, of viewpoints. Is that an accurate way of describing the segmentation 
of the population via social media. Yeah, there's a, a really good quote from a philosopher named J.J. Abrams. Uh, I'm saying that as a joke. He's actually the director of a couple of Star Wars movies. And the quote is basically that we are now at the point where we're all, we're all debating the nuances of different topics. And that's what social media has kind of become. So I'm just slightly against this. You're slightly against this. And then it erupts into a big, big argument and flaming each other and calling each other names. Uh, on my Twitter account, I've actually had quite a few different death threats over the years. And, uh, you know, you belong in jail or prison or something like that because they didn't like something I said. And, uh, you know, we can talk about the accuracy of these things, but I'm an advocate for free speech because that's kind of, you know, what I've been doing for these last 20 years is talking about uh, who's doing what in the world and why. And so if there's a platform where you're not going to have like a lot of censorship and a lot of deleting these accounts and blocking these accounts. I'm actually in favor of that. I actually like, uh, there's a couple of other apps that I like a little better than maybe what Donald Trump's planning. Uh, one is called Kindly. Uh, it's backed by Tim Tebow. It encourages people to, you know, share positive thoughts with each other and they don't allow trolls. Um, another one is called Friend, I think it's Friendy or Friender or something like that. I can never remember the names of these apps, unfortunately. Uh, but it's the same idea. It's, you know, we don't really want to segment people by their ideals and their opinions. We want to segment them into people who actually have nice things to say about topics and don't want to just criticize each other all day. Um, when we think about the influence that people have around the world in terms of moving the needle on big issues. And so, you know, here I might, I might want to bring my social influence, however small that may be, to bear on um, something happening halfway around the world to a people group about whom I'm concerned. I can raise that concern with government officials. I could also raise that concern with the real power brokers of the day, and those would actually be companies. Multina multinational companies. When we come back, can we talk about some of um, the really big names like Jeff Bezos um, or Bill Gates when it comes to the, the influence, not only that particular individuals have, but that big companies have to move the needle on social issues around the world? Mm -hmm. That sounds great. All right. Great. All right. I'm talking with John Brandon. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with John Brandon. Um, John, uh, okay, I read this this morning. I'm not going to ask you to comment on this, but I read this this morning. Bill Gates believes that the solution to climate change uh, that should be forced upon everyone is that people in wealthy countries should no longer eat meat and uh, use only synthetic meat and, quote, use regulation to totally shift the demand on meat um, okay, uh, so there are these big personalities. They they have a lot of power and influence because they have built big companies and that are very very influential everywhere around the world. Um, you have recently written about Jeff Bezos and some things that uh, he is up to. 
So I don't know. Let's focus on on Bezos. Let's focus uh, where you want to. You can talk about Bill Gates as well if you're so inclined. Sure. So and Jeff Bezos is uh, now, uh, I think as of yesterday, is now the richest person in the world once again. Elon Musk had kind of reigned as the richest person for maybe a few weeks or months, but now Jeff is uh, at the top again. Um, I actually wanted to talk to you about this because I find it really interesting, uh, the influence that companies have on our lives. And I would actually say that Amazon, you know, Jeff Bezos is the CEO, founder of Amazon. He actually is going to step down, I think, later this year. But Amazon is probably the biggest company right now that influences our daily lives. And you might think it's Apple, especially if you're using an iPhone all the time. You might think it's Google if you use search. Um, So I was thinking about this on my uh, just kind of getting here this morning and I woke up to an alarm that I set using Alexa, which is owned by Amazon. Uh, I was driving into a, to work today, and I listened to a book on Audible, which is also owned by Amazon. Uh, I'm wearing clothes that I ordered on Amazon.com. Um, and actually, I this is a, my claim to fame. I have two claim to fames, uh, claims to fame, Carmen. And one of them is that uh, I don't really shop in a physical store anymore, um, except for groceries. So... Amazon has impacted all oh, the other claim to fame, by the way, is I don't use emojis. We can talk about that sometime. Uh, I've never used one. Um, so anyway, I think Amazon is just this huge 800,000 employees. Most of the apps we use, a lot of the apps we use run on their back end, their, their ecosystem. Uh, they've infiltrated every area of our life. And so then the question is, how dependent are we on Amazon and, uh, you know, it doesn't, doesn't surprise me that he's incredibly rich. Um, uh, but I think one of the, the questions I have is, uh, you know, with companies like Apple, with Google, with Facebook, how dependent are we on them? And, and are they, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Social Dilemma on Netflix, mm-hmm. but it kind of painted a picture of, you know, we're actually all becoming kind of these, uh, like, robots of these large companies and they're kind of doing what we want them to do rather than the other way around. Or we're kind of doing what they want us to do versus imagining that they are doing what we want them to do. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find practical ways to limit their influence or, you know, are you just sort of at the point where, well, this is this is the world we live in and we're going to adapt to it? Yeah, and that's the subject of the book that I'm writing right now. It comes out in January, so hopefully we get a chance to talk about that a little bit. The manuscript's almost done. Uh, I've got a couple more weeks before it's uh, final. Uh, But the book is about productivity with purpose. And and one of the things that I write about in that book, and I've researched a ton, I read 40 books during the process of writing it, is we have to be really intentional with our time. Culture is creeping in. Uh, our phones are always, they're connected. They're, it's kind of become some, we're, we're basically like robots using this extension of technology in our hand all the time. And honestly, it's a, it's a little scary in terms of if you've ever been to Starbucks and you're waiting in line, we used to kind of chat with each other once in a while, and now we're just doom scrolling on our phones. So it's, it's getting to the point where uh, I've actually heard uh, just recently John Mark Comer had mentioned this idea of, you know, doing a, a retreat where you're just silent for a few hours or, 
He's actually talking about bringing back monasteries uh, for Christians. And I'm talking about evangelical Christians going away to a retreat center and not having their phone and not having the infl- not having an Amazon uh, account anymore. Uh, and I think that that's an interesting trend that I'd like to look into a lot more. Um, Rod Dreher would be definitely somebody you want to talk with about that. Um, the Benedict Option you know, it's a book that's a few years old now, a couple of years old now, but that's definitely in there. The The stirrings of that are in there. There's also been um, a pretty interesting movement among secular people toward monastic um, practices and sort of this, the new monastic movement. I was on a call yesterday with a group of um, uh, professional women, Christian women from across the country, and one of them was talking about um, an experience that that she had had over the course of a couple of years, um, and they ha- they did these retreats together um, that were silent and uh, no social media, um, and she said it was really you know it was really really hard. Like and it was it was for forty eight hours, like four times a year for forty eight hours. Try to be without any of your devices. Right. And, and, you know, and sp- just spend time in quiet reflection. And it's hard. Yeah. It's actually hard to do. I'm an advocate for the technology. I kind of look at it like, you know, next time you get into your car, just think of it as a tool. You get in the car, it drives some, you drive it somewhere. Maybe it's to Walmart, you know. Uh, I, I view technology as the same. It's just a tool and how we use it. We use it for good or we use it for evil. Um, unfortunately, I've just seen where it's, it's become so consuming that it's hard to put down the phone these days. So I like what you're saying. I, I think you have to use kind of pre, uh, what I would call replacement theology. Uh, you know, read a physical Bible uh, once in a while because that's what, that's what it's come to. You have to just set your phone down, even if you're using the Bible app. Uh, I've started using a journaling Bible, and, and I love it. I do it every morning. It's awesome. All right. Um, We have uh, on our text line, which is always open because, you know, people have their devices in their hands while they're listening. (laughs) We have some concern being raised that you don't use emojis. And of course, (laughs) there are lots of emojis related to that uh, commentary. I kind of thought somebody might comment about that. I've had uh, I've worked with college students and done a lot of mentoring over the years, and and they like to make fun of me about that. It's just a it's a personal thing. I just. (laughs) I don't know. I think they're kind of dumb. So I come up with my own phrases uh, to because to, I because I want to have emotional intelligence through texting and through these uh, tech technology mediums. So I come up with other phrases and things. But I just the smiley face, I just think is kind of dumb. All right. And then we have uh, Jane, who is offering up. I'm so grateful that my dad taught me uh, not to be afraid to be alone with myself. He was a farmer. I do think that there are um, there are some vocations that there's a rhythm to them that is well, it's more natural. Like it's literally more natural, and um, and puts us more in touch with not only the rhythms of uh, of nature, but literally sort of the rhythm of being with God by ourselves. Yeah, I'm glad we got on this topic. There's actually a retreat center in my town that I used uh, to write some of the book. And and I just think we have to go to these great links. And as a writer, I've been writing for 30 years. And But when I was writing this uh, most recent book, and actually when I've done some of my columns recently, 
I've pulled out a paper journal and a fountain pen and written articles that way. Um, what a couple of the ones that we're actually talking about today, I hand wrote in a journal, and then of course I transferred it to an online medium. You know, but uh, the person who wrote in about that, I I think that's true. Writing obviously has gone back thousands and thousands of years. What did they do before a MacBook and an iPhone? You know. Um, but I think if if anyone's listening to this and you're struggling with kind of the distraction of a phone and, and digital technology and you feel like you're using social media too much, here's my challenge to you. And I think this is a really, really healthy thing. Can you go one day without using some of this technology? Can you put your phone away, put it in a drawer or give it to a friend who keeps it at their apartment for you or whatever it is? Can you just go one single day with all, without all of this technology? And, uh, you know, if you want to write in and tell me how it goes, I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to email with you once you're back on email. So There's, um, there's not a tractor emoji. Oh, yes, there is. There is a little John Deere <laughs> tractor. I need to send that uh, to the person who says it's, um, it's, uh, it's so healing and therapeutic to be on a tractor. So, of course, mm-hmm. I needed to find a tractor emoji to respond appropriately to that because right. mm-hmm. that's who I am. There's All an right, emoji uh, for everything. Well, you know, there is or there should be. All right. Uh, that's John Brandon. We're going to continue this conversation in the future. John, as always, thanks so much. You can read uh, the things that we have talked about today in terms of what John's writing at Forbes.com. And we also look forward to his forthcoming book. We'll talk to you next time. Well, we're going to talk a little bit uh, here about depression. Do you or someone you love struggle with depression? And what does it mean to live as a Christian with depression? Paul A.C., whom you will recognize as a guest from Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry, knows the reality of depression firsthand, not only himself, but in his family. And he's joining us to share his new book, Beauty in the Browns. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. Your father has no intention of letting you fall. You can't see him, but he is present. He is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glory without fault and with unspeakable joy. Drink deeply from this truth. Does God want you living in fear? No, just the opposite. The spirit we received, according to Romans 8, 15, and 16, does not make us slaves again to fear. It makes us children of God. And with that spirit, we cry out, Father. And the spirit himself joins with our spirits to say, we are God's children. What an intriguing statement. Deep within you, God's Spirit confirms with your spirit that you belong to Him. Beneath the vitals of the heart, God's Spirit whispers, You're mine. I bought you and I sealed you. And no one can take you. Isn't that great news? This is Max Locato. Joining me now, Paul Acey. He is the author of several books. Um, He also works for Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry, um, which we feature every Friday here on Mornings with Carmen. Um, Paul, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm holding in my hands uh, your brand new book, 
Beauty in the Browns, Walking with Christ in the Darkness of Depression. Um, maybe we'll just let you start by um, telling people what was, you know, maybe what was the motivation? What's the what's the itch behind writing this book? You know, it's an interesting journey for me, to be honest with you. As you know, I, I like talking about movies. I like talking about entertainment and and God and how the two intersect. Um, I have never really talked about depression, especially my depression, um, ever before. I've dealt with depression in on some level, probably for most of my adult life. And uh, I've had a, a few severe debout, bouts of it. Um, but I think the real trigger was my son. My son actually uh, suffers from depression as well. He has some anxiety issues. And, and uh, a couple of years back, he, he actually OD'd. And he he overdosed on on some cold medication and and that type of stuff and and we we brought him into the emergency room and we spent all night with him there um, while he was getting those those drugs sort of flushed out of his system and it was sort of at that point where I realized that even though my son and I deal with with depression. I had never really talked with him about it. I, I, he knew that I had dealt with it. Um, but it's something that I keep very, very close to me. I, it's not something that I feel comfortable talking with. It's nothing that we've ever talked with together. Um, and the book was released an offshoot of just my, my desperate attempts to help him you know, in some ways to, to, to show him that, that I knew how he was feeling, um, to maybe pass on some, some tips that of, of ways that I've learned how to deal with it. Um, it, it really sprung out of that urge to, to really try to be honest with what I've dealt with and, and engage with a little bit more deeply. And as I was writing, as I was thinking through some of these issues, I thought, well, you know, maybe some other people can be helped by it too. All right. And if that's you, if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, I need that, I need that for myself. I need that in my family. I need what um, what Paul is talking about in this book, Beauty in the Browns. We do have copies uh, to give away. So if you want to enter the drawing for those, text the word book to 877-933-2484. This is a very personal um, book. It's also extremely practical um, and deeply faithful in terms of Christian worldview and approach. Um, and Paul, I want to um, I want to ask a couple of just very practical questions um, because when you say you know you've had these experiences of depression um, and some of them have been um, worse or deeper than others, for a person who does not know what that is like. Can you describe an experience of depression to us? Absolutely. And and that is one of the real real tricky things about depression, right? Is if you don't deal with it, it's really hard to communicate why you can't get out of bed in the morning or why you feel so sad all the time. People just think that you need to cheer up. But but people who grapple with depression realize that that's not that's not often possible. 
Um, probably my most severe bout of depression came when I was working. Um, I was a new boss working at, at actually <laughs> the professional rodeo, uh, Cowboys Association. And I was dealing with a whole bunch of new responsibilities and I didn't feel like I was handling them very well. And it became a bit of a catalyst, um, to, to just these feelings of hopelessness and worthlessness. Now, Honestly, when the depression first hit, I thought it was just something physical. It manifested itself as a huge stomach problem. Um, I just all of a sudden couldn't eat. Uh, and, and so I thought that it was a stomach bug. It would clear out in, in a couple of days. I'll be able to go back to work. But the days stretched down into weeks. And in that time, I barely ate. I ate probably maybe maybe a cracker or two a day. I was sleeping for maybe 90 minutes a night. Uh, I spent most of my time um, just curled up on a couch and often not being not even watching TV because because television was just too much for me to to deal with at the time. <laughs> Every once in a while I would turn on at 3 a.m. the Disney Channel because some of those Mickey Mouse Club reruns, they were just sort of nice and peaceful and I could sort of absorb those. But for the most part, I spent three weeks doing nothing. Um, I felt hopeless. I felt worthless. I felt empty inside. And it was, it, it felt like it was sort of a, a living death in a way. And, and I know that that sounds extreme, but, but it really did feel like I was wondering whether I would ever be able to get off of that couch at all. And I think that some people who, who imagine depression, they think that, that it's, it's this overwhelming feeling of sadness or you're bummed or whatever. And that can be true. But oftentimes it's just this emptiness that you feel. You can't take pleasure in the things that you typically have enjoyed. Uh, you feel just this, this worthless, this sense of worthlessness about you. Um, every bit of color in life is just sapped. And, and that can be what it feels like. So as Paul's describing this, um, let me just remind everybody we're 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 talking about um, Paul's new book, Beauty in the Browns: Walking with Christ in the Darkness of Depression. Um, Paul AC is the author, um, and if you're listening to him describe his own experience of depression, and you're saying to yourself, "I I have been there, and I didn't have a word for it," or as a Christian, I didn't think I was allowed to talk about this. I didn't think that as a Christian, it was faithful to even have these conversations, um, we want to dispel that. And so that conversation is up next right after the break. If you want to enter the drawing for the copies of the book we have available, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Only imagine when that day comes And I find myself standing in the sun I'm talking with author Paul Acey, spelled A-S-A-Y, if you're looking for him online. The new book is Beauty in the Browns, Walking with Christ in the Darkness of Depression. And yes, we do have books to give away. If you want to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Paul, you you deal with this topic in the book, and so I feel comfortable asking you about it. Um, There are a lot of myths that a lot of Christians believe about about depression. Um, What are some of those and what say ye? 
There are a lot of myths, and and it was one of the things that that really impacted my own walk. I, I think that that as I was sort of grappling with it, as I was beginning to realize what I was dealing with, uh, one of the things that came up again and again is the idea that as Christians, we shouldn't suffer from depression, right? We've been given the good news. We've got the greatest hope that the universe has to offer. So how can you be depressed? You know, be joyful, uh, glory in, in God's love and all that. Um, when you are grappling with depression, it is so hard to to feel that joy. Um, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, and I was I was talking with him a little bit about we were just talking about our experiences with God. And and my friend was, he's one of those people who it it's almost like God is physically with him in the back seat at the coffee shop. You know, that kind of close intimacy that, that you can have with, with your creator. And, and I had to confess to him that the feeling of, of God right with me all the time um, was just not there. I, I I can count maybe on one hand the times when I've really felt, really truly felt God's presence in in my life, where I could feel that He was with me powerfully, had His hand on me. Um, and I I told my friend that, and he said, "You know what? I think you're doing faith wrong. I wonder whether you're even a Christian." And that was a really difficult thing to hear because I knew what I believed. I knew I knew all the things that I had been taught and that I had hope in, um, but the feelings just weren't there. And that was a very difficult conversation, and it made me wonder whether there was something wrong with me. And, mm-hmm. of course, technically there is, you know? <laughs> but it was a very difficult thing to, to walk through because it made me wonder whether there was something so wrong in me that I was unlovable by even God. And I think that, that that when you're dealing with depression, that is one of the hardest things to deal with if you're also a Christian, is, is you feel this distance from, from the things that you should be engaged with, the things that, that you loved, all of a sudden they feel a little blurry, a little bit indistinct, and that can extend to our relationship with God. Um, the hope that I drew actually, as, as I was processing that, is just diving into the scriptures. You know, you, you read some of the, the accounts in, in the Bible. Some of these heroes of our faith grappled with what seems to be really deep, dark periods of despair. Uh, the Psalms are filled with these laments to God. Uh, you see Elijah, you see Job, uh, you, you see these people who are dealing with some deep, really awful emotions, and they're still following and loving God through those. And that's what sort of inspired me. Far from being um, antithetical to the faith, the Bible showed me that depression is sometimes just a part of our faith. Sometimes it's it's one of those thorns in our sides that we have to deal with as, as we go through our lives. Um, when you look at the people in the Bible, if you look at some of the heroes of the faith that all throughout history, many of them suffered from depression, and I found that, that I am in pretty good company. 
So, Paul, I'd like um, I'd like to know what the responses and reactions of some of your close family members have been and maybe even some of your colleagues to your willingness to sort of go so public um, yeah. on this topic. Um, you know, maybe maybe your parents, maybe uh, co-workers, like how have people responded to your willingness to not only be so vulnerable, but, you know, to tell so to tell so much, right? Like that is because that's really, really scary for a lot of people. What's the reaction of the people who love me best? You know, what if I suspect they're I'm going to be rejected by them or this is mm-hmm. only going to cause me greater humility? Um, what what has your experience been? It's it's been a, a difficult journey in a way. <laughs> and I'll, I'll just start with, with the process of writing. I am a very deeply private person. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of the stuff that I write about in the book, I had never told to anybody, mm-hmm. anybody, not my parents, not my friends. They had no idea that, that some of this was going on inside me. Um, and, and so the conversations as I was I was working through the book and I was showing it to the people who obviously needed to read it before it was published. Uh, the the reaction that I saw again and again was I had no idea, and they they it, it it was a reaction that that I did not want them to have. Like they should have been there for me more, but. The fact was I wasn't in a place where I could allow people into my life to help me with some of that stuff. Um, as the book has sort of sort of been circulating now, um, the thing that has gratified me is how many people who I work with, how many people who I talk with, um, they say, you know what? That's me. I had that experience that you had in chapter three, or I suffer through those same feelings of worthlessness and despair. Um, these are Christian people, people who work in the Christian ministry that I work for. Uh, they've, they've come up to me and they said, uh, you know, this is something that I deal with and I've never told anybody. And I think that that's one of the things about depression is that it it's inherently isolating, right? We don't want to talk about this. It's sort of shameful. It's very embarrassing. Um, and so, so many people suffer with it in in these little silent cocoons that they just can't seem to break out of. And that was that has been gratifying to just sort of give people the ability to say, yeah, this is something that I deal with. And just the knowledge that they're not dealing with it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if there's anything that the book can do, maybe it's just that. It's that, you know what? You're not alone. People are dealing with some really hard stuff. You have company. You're not alone. Um, you are seen. Um, we know you're there. Beauty in the Browns, Walking with Christ in the Darkness of Depression by Paul Acey um, could be a, an important companion for you along the way. Um, if you're a Christian and you thought this is something we're not allowed to talk about and we ought not ever experience, the truth is it's real and people do deal with it. And um, and we want to help you deal with it yourself or in your own family, um, in your fellowship of believers. So the book is Beauty in the Browns, Walking with Christ in the Darkness of Depression. If you're interested in entering the drawing for the copies that we have to give away today, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. 
Um, Paul, as always, thank you so much. And um, thank you in particular for this. It's a real gift. Um, let me encourage you. You should connect with Lecrae. Um, his his new book, I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion and Found My Faith, um, goes to some of the same places that you go. And mm. um, I think the two of you might really, that people might really be blessed by hearing the two of you talk with each other about the topic. Well, I'd love to talk with, with Lecrae. He's one of the yeah. most talented musicians there is. I mean, I think, this, think that'd be a cool conversation. All right. Hey, thanks, brother. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Next time we'll Absolutely. talk movies. Yeah, next time we'll talk movies. We'll be right back. Hey, I know I mentioned uh, Lecrae there in my in the end of my conversation, and so I just looked at my calendar. He's actually up tomorrow here during the first hour of Mornings with Carmen. So we're going to be talking with uh, Lecrae about his new project, I Am Restored, How I Lost My Religion but found my faith um, in in the opening hour tomorrow here on Mornings with Carmen. Um, hey, get some time today to be with the Lord. It is Ash Wednesday. Pray Psalm 51. Um, spend some time confessing your need for Christ and your acknowledgement of God's goodness and grace in him. Um, let's enter into the season of Lent with some intentionality. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.